Today's Bible reading is from Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. In my anguish, I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph of my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the vestal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is the word of our God. Thank you, Judy. And let us pray before we come to the word. Father, again, we come to a passage that reminds us that we are to give thanks to you for you are good, and that your steadfast love endures forever. Please, Lord, continue teaching us from your word this morning how infinite, how deep, how eternal and transformative your love is. By your spirit, bring your word into our hearts and our minds that you might work that miracle in our lives that we might be useful to you in a benighted world that needs this light to shine in their lives too. So be with us this morning, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, today we come to the heart of thankfulness. Psalm 118 is one of the great psalms of the Bible. It's a celebratory psalm. It's a big occasion psalm. It would have been sung during the times of the high festivals in Israel, like Pentecost and the Passover, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, perhaps even the uh, Festival of Light, Hanukkah, or perhaps even during the enthronement of a new king. Personally, I would have loved to be there when this psalm was originally sung in Jerusalem, to go back to those days with literally thousands upon thousands of people all gathered in joyful assembly and with one theme on their mind, to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness to them. That's a great theme to reflect on, isn't it? In all the things that go on in our world and in our lives, it is good to be reminded that it is good to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness to us. And this is something, as an Israelite, that you would have looked forward to for months. Many of the people would have travelled from all around the region, from Galilee, even further afield, and you would have brought your whole family with you, your kids included, just like those of you who have been away recently on holidays with family. Can you imagine it, though? Everyone would have been so excited, and now the anticipation is growing. And then at last, the day arrives, and it's time for the festival to begin. Then the musicians sound their trumpets, And the shout goes up and the procession begins to move up toward the temple to worship our God. And maybe it was the king himself who spoke the opening words of this psalm. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord Say, his love endures forever. And you would have heard all these voices ringing out across the city, not quiet like you were this morning. No, they would have been shouting it out. Shouting it out across the valley, the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem. The voices would have echoed and resounded and all the priests and all the people and all the God-fearing Gentiles even, those who fear the Lord, all singing the top of their voices, and praising the Lord our God for his great love toward them. This is a psalm that expresses the unity of the nation under God. And that's something that we miss in Australia today, even the unity of the church today under God. Because, you see, something very special goes on when you get the whole congregation, the whole church, the whole nation together to celebrate God's goodness. One nation, one people, one church united in one faith and one love for the Lord our God. It's such an uplifting theme. And for us today as Christians, it gets even better because this psalm points powerfully to Jesus. After all, is he not the stone the builders rejected which has become the capstone? That famous saying from Matthew. We'll be looking at that a little later on. He is the Lord our God whose light shines upon us. So I want to say this morning, the power of the resurrection is in this psalm. And the power of the vindication of Christ is in this psalm. And the power of the joy of the redeemed is in this psalm. 
And if there's one thing I'd like us to learn today to go home with from looking at this passage, it's how to turn our thoughts to an appreciation of what God is doing, has done, will yet do in our lives. The kind of thankfulness that we see today in this passage. I want us to be a people who are known for our thankfulness, our thankfulness to God in our community, in our church, in our homes. Which brings me to my first point for today. My heart is filled with thankfulness. Is your heart filled with thankfulness? Thankfulness is the key here. Male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, it doesn't matter. Really, everyone is invited to share in the chorus of this praise. Anyone who wants to join in is welcome. It's a foretaste of heaven. Only in heaven, I think it'll be Jesus himself who will be leading the praise as our king. And he will say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And all the angels and the archangels and the 24 elders and the four living creatures, the ones we met looking at the book of Revelation, will be saying, his love endures forever. And all the people of God gathered together throughout all ages, the church triumphant, the church victorious, will be saying, his love endures forever. And there'll be millions of voices heard on that day, singing God's praise in the heavenly assembly. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I mean, this is the heart of thankfulness. It's to know that you are loved by God, and that, despite all your failings and your foibles and your faults, loved by this extraordinary and holy God with an everlasting love that's stronger than death. It doesn't get any better than this. And when you realise what God has done for you, it must usher forth into a thankfulness that does not die. We should be eternally thankful to God. After all, his love is utterly unique in the universe. You know that, don't you? Nowhere else do you find a love like this, a love that's perfectly good, perfectly wise, perfectly pure, perfectly glorious. His love endures forever. But now a quiet hush falls over the assembly as the king begins to sing. And this is my second point for today. I've called it the king's testimony in verses 5 to 14. And the big theme here is deliverance. For the king says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. In his life, David had to wade through many difficulties. His own father-in-law, Saul, do you remember, treated him like an outlaw, forcing him to live like a fugitive. His life was often in danger. There are so many challenges that he had to face. Enemies within his own sins, enemies without, hostile agents, false friends, family intrigues, political battles, wars, military campaigns, and much, much more besides. David, at times, felt completely trapped by his circumstances. And he felt sure that he was going to die unless the Lord saved him. So he says, my anguish, 
Or in my anguish, in my constraint, in my being trapped like a bird in a cage, as it were, I cried to the Lord and he answered by setting me free. Have you ever felt trapped in a situation where you feel there's no way out? King David has been there. You're not the first and you won't be the last. In my anguish, I cried out to the Lord and he answered by setting me free. And so David's confession, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? Here is a lesson you can only learn from personal experience. You can read it on the page, but it won't mean anything until you've been there. There's no shortcuts here. You actually have to encounter the living Lord personally and then find, as David will go on to say in verse 14, that he has become my salvation. You know, he rescued me in my hour of need. The Lord is powerful to save. He says in verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And that's David's story. This is what the Lord has done for me. It's his testimony. This is why my heart is filled with thankfulness. This is why I sing, because the Lord has become my salvation. He's been so kind to me, and I'm here today to share my joy with you. Well, if you're a Christian, then you will know your own salvation story. You will know what God has done, that story that's uniquely yours, your own testimony of being delivered from sin and death. And it's powerful because it's your testimony of what God has done in your life to bring you to himself. And I want to say this morning, never underestimate the power of a personal testimony. A testimony is sharing what Christ has done in your life to bring you to God. And it's powerful and it's unique, isn't it? Every story has its own little twist and turn. It's wonderful how our God is so creative in saving sinners. And so we read in verse 7 a truth that lives in the heart of every believer. Look at it. It says, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. Just as I will look on my enemies. The desire that I have in my heart will be fulfilled. I will look, perhaps, in triumph on my enemies. But then it says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Well, that's true, isn't it? How often do our politicians and those in power let us down? Derek was praying about it just this morning. And what strikes me in these verses is the way they really do speak to the experience, again, of every believer... So I want to share quickly with you my own story of how God rescued me and how he established me in my faith as a follower of Jesus. Some of you have heard this before, and this is not the whole of the story, but there was, at my life, one of the big turning points happened in the first year of my work at my first job, which was with IBM. And I was about to turn my back on God because I'd left home and I felt uh, free and footloose and fancy free and uh, successful in a a new job, a well-paying job. But God then allowed a major crisis to happen in my life because the project that I was assigned to was going very badly and my boss, well, he tried to blame me for things that I didn't do. 
It got so bad that I had to keep a diary of everything that I did every day in order just to be able to say, no, I did this or I didn't do that, uh, to keep track of what was happening. My boss was telling lies and he was setting me up to take the fall in his place. The most frightening thing of all was really realising how little I could do to control the situation. It was very stressful. In the words of verse 13, it says, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. And the way that the Lord helped me was like this. One afternoon, I met a man at the coffee machine. I was at my wit's end, and in my desperation, he became my shoulder to cry on. I poured out my heart to him. I talked on and on and on as he was holding his coffee, coffee, cup of coffee, and I was uh, rambling on, pouring out my heart to him. And all the while, he just stood there saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then when the time was right, he said one thing to me. He said, you'll find your answer in God, you know. And then he turned around and walked off, left me holding my cup of coffee. I've come to realise that God used that man at that moment in my life to begin a process of turning my heart back to God. Uh, you'll know perhaps after that, on the same day, the person that I shared a, a unit with, there was three guys, a bachelor pad, one of them was a Christian, he invited me to come and hear the gospel preached that very same night. So these are steps along the way to saving faith. And I'm sure I wouldn't be standing here today if it weren't for that man's courage in teaching me this basic truth about the Christian life. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now, I know that David's circumstances are vastly different to my own. He was a king for starters, and he was the Lord's anointed. The challenges he faced were personal, pastoral, and political. And I guess being the moderator of the denomination, I do get a, a bigger sense of that as well now, how as one person you represent the many, and it increases the responsibility. Well, David was attacked because he represented a way of life and a God who the nations didn't believe in and didn't want to believe in. And they wanted Israel to be weak and enslaved and subjected to them and their false gods. But David was the Lord's anointed. He was a forerunner of Christ. And so his victories do belong to the mighty works of the Lord for which we rightly praise him. And David says about his own ministry, doesn't he? His spirit-filled ministry in verse 10 and following. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Now, David's leadership is special because he is the Lord's anointed. But his experiences in life are common to all mankind. So in the end, my experience of God's love and your experience of God's love is just like David's experience of God's love. And my joy over his victory is just like your joy over God's victory. His, David's experience, David's joy, David's desire to give thanks to the Lord for all that God has done is just like our desire to give thanks to the Lord. 
And so verse 14 is a spiritual truth that we can all say a hearty amen to, isn't it? Look at verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. It's a very simple statement, but it's so profound. The resolution of all our problems, the one who sets us free, the one who gives us new life. And by the way, the word salvation, again, is the same word from which Jesus' name is taken. His name literally means God saves or Yahweh is salvation. He has become my Jesus. He has become my salvation. And with that in mind, I want to move on to look at the Christological heart of Psalm 118, verses 15 to 24. I've called it welcoming God's salvation, because that's all we need to do. God's salvation has come. We need to welcome his salvation in, that we might receive it and then return back our thanks and praise to the Lord. We need to welcome God's salvation because this is where Jesus is most clearly foreshadowed in his role as the righteous king and victor over sin, death and the devil. And well may we say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We need to welcome God's salvation in. So come with me to verse 15, to this amazing scene where there's a mighty roar now erupting in the tents of the righteous. Salvation songs, shouts of joy and victory because God's people are worshipping the Lord together and today we get to join in with them. What are they singing? They're singing, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. You can feel the joy, the exuberation, the thankfulness of God's people. I think if your heart isn't moved as you read this passage and this scene of celebration, you need to do a spiritual check, a pulse check. Ask yourself, what will it take to get excited by the good news of the gospel? Because that's what this psalm is full of. The good things, the mighty things that God has done to rescue us. Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is God with us who came into the world to save us. And his saving acts ought to be regularly in our hearts, in our minds, on our lips, because he is the Lord who is mighty to save. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I said before, the power of the resurrection is in this psalm. Let's have a look at that now in verse 17, for example. Ask yourself, is it David or is it Jesus who says, I will not die but live? And we'll proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Well, that was David's experience and a foreshadowing of what Christ experienced. Jesus did die, but God raised him to life again, for death could not hold him. Or again in verse 19, is it David or is it Jesus who says, Open for me the gates of righteousness, I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. That experience which we have on earth is a foreshadowing of the ultimate experience of entering into the new creation and into the heavenly sanctuary. Or again, who could miss the monumental significance of this prophetic proclamation in verses 22 to 24? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, literally the head of the corner. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. 
Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Anyone know that song? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, this is where it comes from, Psalm 118. The cornerstone was the key to a building's success and it had to be perfectly square or there'd be hell to pay. If there was any error in how that stone had been cut, well, the, the results for the whole building would be disastrous. Walls would simply fail to join properly. Rooms couldn't be squared up. Levels would be lost. Eventually, the building would have to be started over again if that cornerstone wasn't true. So when Jesus took these words from Psalm 118 and applied them to himself, you have to understand what he's saying. He's saying that from now on, the chief cornerstone in God's temple won't be a rock, it'll be a person. God himself is coming into the world to create a new and living temple. From now on, Jesus himself will be the cornerstone against which all other stones are measured. And from now on, God's temple will be a living temple made of living stones. And if you go into the New Testament, I've only got the reference on the screen for you, but the Apostle Peter spells this out. He says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are living stones in a spiritual temple. Jesus, goes, The Apostle Peter goes on to say, for in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So this is an invitation to trust in the living cornerstone, isn't it? To trust in Jesus. And he says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So your future is wrapped up in your decision about the cornerstone, about Christ. Jesus himself said exactly the same thing. In Matthew chapter 21, I do have this for you on the screen. We find him engaged in a heated debate with the teachers of the law. Let's have a look at that now. Jesus is debating with the teachers of the law. He says to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. What's Jesus quoting? He's quoting Psalm 118 to the teachers of the law. Then he says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. That's a curious statement, isn't it? I think it means that if we fall on Christ, if we fall on the rock, he will break us in order to reshape us. But if we reject him, then he on whom it falls will be crushed by the judgment, the holy and righteous judgment of God. Again, we need to get our relationship with Jesus in order. Well, the ministry of Jesus will be rejected by many. They'll say, what's the point of following God? Why should I? What do I get out of it? What's in it for me? But for us, who recognise that he is the living stone, well, he has become for us our salvation 
and we rejoice in his day of victory. Now, the Pharisees would have known the words of Psalm 118 off by heart. But when Jesus came, they just couldn't accept that he could be their Messiah. And so they stumbled and fell at precisely this point, despite having the gospel before them in Psalm 118, despite having Jesus actually in their presence. They stumbled and they fell because they refused to believe that Jesus is the Christ, despite his teaching and his miraculous signs and his clear demonstration of God's power, let alone his mastery of God's word. So my final point for today is a prayer, O Lord, save us. For it seems to me we are in constant danger of also being complacent about Christ. O Lord, save us. Help us to love you as we ought, that we might be thankful as we should. Help me to turn away from my own selfishness. Lord, help me to to find a new wonder in your love and in your word and enable me to trust you in times of trouble. Well, in verses 25 to 29, we see that the Lord is coming to his people and we are invited to receive him, to receive our God. In verse 27, it says, The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. The Lord is coming to save us, so let's welcome him in. Look at verse 25. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Did you know that these are the very same words that the crowd was singing on the day when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? It's all there in Matthew chapter 21. They were singing Psalm 118, at least in part, O Lord, save us, please. In in Hebrew, it's Hoshiana, Hoshiana, Hosanna, Hosanna, O Lord, please save us. And Jesus came riding on a donkey, signifying he was coming as their king in peace. And many of the people on that day, as Jesus made his triumphal entry, took up the palm branches, just like it says in this psalm. And as Jesus was riding by, they began to sing Psalm 118. Matthew chapter 21, verse 8 tells us, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! O Lord, save us. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What a wonderful psalm to sing to welcome the coming of the king. Such a happy scene. But not everyone in Jerusalem is rejoicing. The teachers of the law are outraged because in their eyes, Jesus is an imposter. Remember, he's not the son of David. We don't know where he was born. We don't know who his parents are. Aren't his parents, you know, Joseph the carpenter and Mary? And aren't his brothers and sisters with us? No, he's not the Messiah, he's certainly not God. And yet the people, as Jesus rides by, are singing these words here in verse 28. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Have the people finally understood who Jesus is? 
Well, it seems like it, but no, they're singing this song in the same way that many people sing Amazing Grace. They've got maybe a bit of the picture, but not the whole picture. They are ignorant of Jesus' true identity. For when Jesus entered Jerusalem, Matthew tells us, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? Well, if they knew the song, they should know the answer. But they said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But the psalmist says, the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Jesus is the Lord of salvation who came to his people 2,000 years ago. And the psalmist invites us to sing Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Today we've seen that thankfulness is at the heart of a living faith. To be thankful to God is to enjoy a foretaste of heaven. Thankfulness is good. Thankfulness is uplifting. Thankfulness is inspiring. It also, I think, changes our heart and our attitude to life. Thankfulness is a powerful unifier when we are thankful together in appreciation for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. But this is just the beginning of thankfulness. The more thankful we are to God, the more thankful we can be in our whole lives for all that God brings us, the good, the bad and the indifferent, and for one another. So let me give you four final points of application to go on with in terms of thankfulness. First, thankfulness should, I might say thankfulness must really, lead to a deeper, richer prayer life. If we are prayerless, it's because we're not thankful. We don't, we don't actually feel thankful enough to say to the Lord, I love you. The more you see how good God is, the more you'll want to praise him and worship him and adore him. When I was young, my parents taught me a prayer. For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. How many of you give thanks for your food before you eat it? Every day. Or do you just tuck in? Oh, it's food. Thankfulness can start in very simple ways. Build up from there. Isn't that one thing that you could start doing today? Just to say a little prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this food that we're about to receive. After all, there are so many people in the world who won't have lunch today. Maybe they won't have dinner as well. And I think the more thankful you are, the less you'll be inclined to pray those sort of shopping list prayers that are really quite selfish, not very memorable or uplifting. So yes, first of all, thankfulness should lead to a richer, deeper prayer life. And you could start today by just giving thanks for your lunch. 
Secondly, evangelism. Same reason, really. I think the more excited you are by what God has done, you're going to just start, start talking. Uh, it won't be something that's so forced if you practice thankfulness. I mean, each one of us has a story to tell of how God has rescued us, don't we? And we have a story to tell, or have we forgotten that story? Maybe you need to go back and relive it and remember what it was like the day you realised that when Jesus died, it wasn't some abstract truth. No, he died for you with you in mind. Your name is written and inscribed on his heart. So how can we encourage one another as a church to be more evangelistic? Well, perhaps it starts by being thankful, by being prayerful, that we might have a desire in our hearts to be sharing the gospel. And again, a, a sort of same idea, really, just a different aspect, is mercy ministry. Isn't it the same? Uh, if we see what God has done for us, won't it be more natural and right and flow out of a response of thankfulness that we should share our blessings with others, that we might be generous people, not afraid to give to those who are in need. How do mercy ministries work themselves out in our congregation? I think we're pretty hit and miss. It's a challenge. And fourth, of course, Christian obedience the more we think on God's goodness, the more we appreciate his love, then the more motivated we will be to actually see that change work out in our lives. You can try and whip people into obedience, but it's no fun and it won't last. It has to come out of a response of thankfulness, out of love. So, thankful heart, joyful life. Be thankful in all that you do to God. The Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Don't be like Prince Harry. Practice the art of thankfulness. For when you do, your life will be the richer for it. And everyone around you will be blessed. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen. Okay, well, let us now sing our response song. Actually, I might pray first, and then we will sing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, how wonderful it is to be loved by you, we realise in our own lives that we need to come back to that first love, to acknowledge that the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and that you, Lord, have become our salvation and that everything we have comes from you. And so we are just thankful, thankful that you are our God and you have called us to be your people. Lord, please teach us to be prayerful, to have on our lips the truth of the gospel, to be people of generosity and mercy. And Lord, teach us to be obedient. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now let's sing.